you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. All right, thanks a lot, Mike. Right now on Fast, from a Santa Claus rally to a Santa clawback, the market's falling, erasing much of yesterday's gains. This is hedge fund titan David Pepper says he's, quote, leaning short. On this red-letter day, are there any places to hide from the bear? Plus, Kathy Wood's art keeps sinking, and Tesla's a huge anchor, dragging it on down. The mounting stock losses for the EV maker and the billions down the drain in Wood's flagship fund. And later, will the monster bomb cyclone crush any hope of a green Christmas for retailers, a round trip for a meme trading favorite, and one analyst is screaming, I like gold like an Austin Powers villain. That was my version of the accent. I didn't do a good job. I'm Frank Holland in for Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money live from the NASDAQ market site. On the desk tonight, we got Tim Seymour. He's right over here. Courtney Garcia, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. And we start with the market sell-off. Off the lows, obviously, and the new headwinds bearing down on Santa stocks tumbling in part after billionaire investor David Tepper's harsh outlook this morning on Squawk Box. A hotter-than-expected read on the final read of Q3 GDP, also just adding to that bearish mood. The Dow dropping almost 349 points, erasing most of yesterday's 500-point-plus rally. The S&P and the Nasdaq also having a pretty rough day. The Nasdaq falling more than 2%. Here... Here's the marking move in comments from Tepper. I'm leaning short on the equity markets, you know, so right now, because I think they're, you know, I think the upside downside just doesn't make sense to me when I have so many people telling me, so many central banks telling me what they're going to do. So Tepper echoing the mantra that this desk has been trying to hammer home all year long. Guy, I'm going to come to you first. Is he just preaching to the choir? Well, I mean, we took the mantra from him in the first place. You know, he would come on when the Fed was easing, free money, zero interest rates, and say, listen, I'm not the smartest guy. He's extraordinarily self-deprecating. He happens to be brilliant. He said, but in this environment, if you're bearish, you're fighting the Fed. So when the Fed pivoted in November of last year, we came on and said multiple times that if David is right under those circumstances, the same should be true when the Fed is taking away liquidity and raising rates, that if you're bullish in this environment, you're fighting the Fed. And he effectively said that today. The thing that really struck me, the fact that he says he's leaning short, which for him is pretty significant, is also he mentioned where trough multiples potentially could be. And he said, you know, we've seen as low as an 11 multiple in this market. He wasn't suggesting we get there. But again, he also brought up, what do you pay for earnings in this environment? It shouldn't be as high as we are. He also brought up what is the right number in terms of earnings. He talked about 200, 210. So it was refreshing to hear somebody of his stature basically hammer home the points that we we're making on the back of his stature so many times this year. Yeah, guy, really bright guy. I think some Carolina Panthers fans may slightly disagree, but when it comes to the markets, obviously, obviously a very brilliant guy right there. One other thing I think he hit on, he called Jay Powell a teddy bear. He called Christine Lagarde, the head of the ECB, a grizzly bear, and basically said, just listen to the Fed. They say they're going to hike rates. There's no sign of a pause or a pivot. So with that in mind, Tim, if we're going to listen to the Fed, are there some places to hide? Are there some places to put your money to work that could be safe under this environment where we're expecting those rate hikes? Well, we're going to have a conversation about gold, and I think we've, we've talked about staples and health care, but it, you know, getting back to Tepper, you, know, the, you, you probably weren't born yet, Frank, but there, were, there used to be uh, an investment firm called e- 
E.F. Hutton. And when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. You listen to Tepper because not only does he have you're smiling like, you know, come I've on. Seen course, I've right, seen the commercials. I've seen the commercials. But but the point here is that Tepper's been uh, very tactical in the markets over the last two or three years at, at points that have been worth trading through and at points that actually, if you think about it, he was out there in March of 21. Guy brought up a couple other points where he's been out there making points. And when you think about the Fed, um, in defense of the Fed, and I know that's not easy to do sometimes, until the Fed saw saw real inflation pass their at least PCE and 2% lines, which in, in November of 2021 they were starting to talk about, and it's hard to believe that they didn't see it. But, but really, uh, relative to their mandate, uh, I think they've been very consistent here, and I think they're going to be very consistent uh, on the way out, which means they may overstay their welcome. So, Courtney, very similar question. I mean, he didn't say he's going 100 percent cash. He just said that he's short when it comes to equities. He also said he had a lot of questions about bonds and all fairness because the rate hikes would make bonds more attractive later on. Do you see any places to put your money to work today? Absolutely. Yeah. And I do think this is something you want to look at because there are going to likely still going to be things that are doing well next year, even if we are in this higher interest rate environment. I do think one thing that is kind of a theme recently is the fact that China is continuing to reopen. That is somewhere I'm really still looking at emerging markets because, A, it's going to be a good thing for China as you see that consumer demand come back online. Really, that will be good for the global economy. But I do think the emerging markets actually is a place you want to still look at as an opportunity here moving forward. Dan Nathan, what about you? I mean, was there something in particular maybe we haven't hit on just yet from those Tepper comments? I mean, like he said, he's short on equities. He's, I guess, being patient when it comes to bonds because he's expecting those rate hikes that, in all fairness, both central bank heads said are coming. So where do you put your money at right now? Yeah, you know, Frank, the hard part right now is that, you know, that GDP print that we saw this morning. I mean, we're talking about the back half of this year with average gross domestic product around 3%. We're seeing the unemployment rate that's still, you know, below 4% at 3.7. So with all of these other inputs, you know, industrial commodities kind of round tripping and, and a whole host of other things that we were worried about from an inflationary standpoint coming in, you still have a relatively strong economy. So I guess every time you get strong data like this, you have to start pricing in Fed rate hikes for longer. And I don't mean like they're going to continue to raise rates, not at the pace in which they've been doing here. But again, if the final piece of the puzzle is unemployment and it really hasn't budged much over the last few months, then, you know, what we saw today on high valuation stocks is going to continue to happen until we see some sort of data that weakens. So we have, I guess it sounds perverse in a way, a really strong economy in the face of all these rate hikes, which really, and you think about some of the worst stocks today in the market at the lows, it tells you that there's much more to go because the multiples on these are still way too high. And if you want to push out a recession to the back half of 2023, then the first half is going to be the thing where stocks are going to have to start to discount it. And we're not there yet. Tepper used, what, an 11 multiple? We've been trying to be like fair and say, maybe it never gets to a trough multiple. Maybe it's just below the 10-year average, 15. And if you get to, let's say, Mike Wilson for Morgan Stanley's $180 in earnings for next year, that still places you down just above 3,000, if I'm doing the math correctly. Hey, guy, before we move on, I want to come back to you one more time. I mean, obviously, we're well off the lows. We closed well off the lows of earlier today as we got to guess away from those Tepper comments. What do you think the market was seeing that gave them more confidence to get back into equities as we went throughout the day? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I figured that was going to come up at some point, the fact that, you know, <laughs> we rallied off the lows. I, I, you know, but again, look at the week we're in. Holiday shortened week. You see strange things. And none of us saying this is going to be a straight line lower. So 
I, to a certain extent, I guess the bounce was interesting for some people, not me. And, you know, maybe we continue it tomorrow. Maybe we'll see. But, you know, for me, the overriding thing today, the thing that really I took away from this was David Tepper's basically galvanized, synthesized and nailed down some of the things we've been saying for a while. So it's one thing for adult like me to say it. It's much different when somebody like David Tepper, who's on the Mount Rushmore of traders and investors, when he says it and the market's taking notice. So, you know, we get beat up a lot of times. We're overly bearish. I mean, we're just trying to read the tea leaves here. As I said last night, and I'll say again, uh, we're not the ones with the pom-poms at five o'clock. So it's not our job to turn up the market or or talk down the market. It's our job to try to help people navigate the market. Yeah, and I'll say to, to add a little bit here, if, if you look at where we were intraday at those lows, we were down, you know, 8, 8.2, 8.3% from the CPI highs of Tuesday of last week. So the market already had a very big move. It catches its breath. But the thing that's most concerning to me, and I know we're about to get to some charts, but if you look at the underperformance of the triple Qs or the NASDAQ 100, basically mega cap tech, the defensive place that people could hang out and find reasonable valuations, et cetera. We know this story made new, fresh, relative lows to the S&P. So in other words, since November of last year, when tech's been underperforming, it's been continuing to make lower lows. Well, we'd actually seen some place over the last six to eight weeks where tech was holding serve and actually semis were outperforming. Triple Qs have now made fresh lows to the S&P. And that, to me, tells you that the market has to go lower because this is 30 percent of the market just in terms of seven or eight stocks that we know well. All right. So that's what it says to you. Courtney, I'm going to come back over to you. Um, and I'm going to actually steal this idea from someone else that was on overtime just a few minutes ago. How many times are you going to continue to discount the market for the same bad news? Rate hikes are the same bad news that we've been hearing over and over again. And again, as, as Tepper spelled out, Christine Lagarde said we're going to raise rates. Jay Powell said we're going to raise rates. Every indication is we're going to raise rates. And people have just been holding fingers crossed that there's going to be some pause or a pivot. Yeah, which I do think is tough here, because if you were looking just a little over a year ago today, the Fed was saying the opposite, where they're saying, oh, we don't need to raise rates in 2022. Inflation is going to be temporary. We don't have to worry about it. And if we had listened to the Fed back then, we would have been dead wrong. So I do think some of this, we need to be really dependent on what the data coming out is. And like tomorrow, we get the PCE numbers. And I think seeing some of these things to showing where inflation is going to be going, I think is actually a lot more important than just specifically what Fed speak is going to be. So, yes, likely we are going to be in a higher rate environment. Hopefully we do, do start to see rates come down at some point, but it's likely not going to come down to the rates it was over the last decade. So I do think you need to be well positioned for that as an investor. Yeah, Nathan, I, th- I thought you were making a face in your, your personal library, wherever you're at right now. Uh, did you have some thoughts on that? No, I'm just texting with somebody. So it was just a little fun there. No, I mean, listen, you know, the Fed told us exactly. This goes back to the the whole conversation. They told us a year ago what they were going to do. No one kind of believed them then. And you know what? I actually give them high marks. I mean, other than keeping their pedal on the metal for too long, you know, last year at this time, they were still buying $40 billion of mortgage-backed securities in in the midst of a housing orgy. And, And so you say to yourself, what were they still doing then? But they did do an about face. And it has taken its toll on risk. Assets. We've seen housing come in. We've seen the stock market come in. So when we think about what's going on here, I mean, the problem is, is that the S&P is 15% off of its lows. The S&P should be down 30% on the year right now, but it's down a little less than 20. And that's why I think we're going to continue to have these sorts of kind of counter trend rallies, because right now the stock market doesn't discount the worst of what comes after the most aggressive rate hiking cycle we've seen in 40 years. And when you see a day like today and you see no bid for a whole a bunch of stocks that you think are already washed out, it's telling you that we're not there yet because the major indices have not confirmed the devastation that's gone on in hundreds of stocks in the stock market. 
Yeah, and we got PCE tomorrow. So if there was any hope that the Fed's going to change directions, it might all end tomorrow. All right, so did the charts support all this bearish sentiment around this desk and from David Tepper earlier today on Squawk Box? Let's get the answers now from the chart master, Carter Worth of Worth Charting. Carter, what do you got? Well, first off, I'm not sure I have the answers. I don't think anyone does, but I have my own hunches. So let's go with that. A couple charts. The first one is just the S&P with no judgments, no lines, no annotations. Now, let's put some lines and annotations in. The next iteration is the exact same chart. And what we know, and there's, it's incontestable that on the way up, the S&P over the prior two years was responding and respecting that trend line. And the same thing on the way down. And so uh, holding here for a second, the following statements, I think, are also incontestable. We're in a downtrend. Mm-hmm. Two, downtrends are characterized by counter-trend rallies. <clears throat> have we had a counter-trend rally? We've had several. Where have they all failed? at the downtrend line. And so then it just is this. If the sequence is intact, and this current countertrend rally, which has been failing now for over a week and a half, in order for the sequence to be intact, we must make a new low, definitionally. So, i.e., do we get back to the October 13th low, and do we hold, or do we undercut? My hunch is that we undercut. Um, Final chart, uh, let's just talk about the longer term a little bit. And, and we can spend a second or two on this. This is the entire 2009-2022 period. And what we know is we have our financial crisis low in 09. And interestingly, the COVID low is to the penny at the lower bound of that channel. Right now, we are sitting to at the midpoint, exactly. And the question is, do we have to get into the lower half? I think so. And do we have to go all the way down to the lower bound for the third time? That lower bound comes into play at around 3,300. That would represent a peak, the trough decline of around 37%. And actually, the NASDAQ, of course, has already done that. I think lower is the answer and as low as, prospectively, the lower bound. Carter, it's Tim. And, and so I was talking about the Nasdaq earlier, relative underperformance to the S&P today, breaking to fresh new relative lows. That's been the leadership. So you talk about where it's already led us downward. But if you think about mega cap tech again, this is where we follow. What does today's move mean to you again in terms of your view? Exactly. And, and if you see, I mean, Apple's so important here. Apple itself is right at its June low. And by all accounts, Apple is likely to break. So, so many stocks in the market broke below in October uh, their respective June lows. Apple is yet to do it. I think it's a foregone conclusion that it will. And in principle, that's a sentiment thing, right? Forget about other big names. Apple is the big name. And there are a lot of people still holding it and believing in it. Ultimately, I do think it's lower. Uh, Maybe one thing to add, and this is uh, maybe a good thing to end on. We are having a down year. We know this. That's that's back-to-back down years are rare. So consider this. Since 1928, right, we've had 31 down years out of 94. So uh, it's not as though it doesn't happen. But back-to-back down years are fairly rare. So we know 73, 74 was a back-to-back down year. We know 2000, 2001, 2002 three back-to-back years, but that was a dot-com boom and bust. And the only other two instances were also big moments, 39, 40, 41, that's World War II. And of course, then there were four back-to-back, 29, 30, 31, and 32, which is 
the depression. So what does it take to get you back to back down years? It either took the depression, it took World War II, or it took the 73, 74 bear market, which was an entirely different moment in terms of interest rates and inflation. Um, we are now working on one year. Um, I think we'll have back to back down years. Wow, Carter Worth right there. Carter Worth, we appreciate it as always, appreciate the insight. All right, let's trade this guy. What do you think about Carter's hunches? A lot of hunches there. Yeah, I mean, Carter's been, if you go back and listen to him over the last year, I mean, I would say he's been 80% right in a lot of his things. And most recently, the fact that he thought yields would go lower, the dollar would go lower, you'd see maybe a bounce in equity market, then the equity market would go lower. It's playing out exactly right. He brings up Apple correctly. I mean, what people either don't realize or won't acknowledge, Apple made an all-time high literally a year ago today, about 182. Stock's down 27% since then. You know, a stock that supposedly never goes lower is in the midst of a pretty good downdraft. And I think it continues down. I mean, again, not to cast dispersions, it's a great company, but it's rich in this environment. All right, there you go. All right, coming up next here on Fast Money, the staggering losses for Tesla this month. What's it going to take for investors to hit the brakes on this stock? Plus, the National Weather Service calling it a once-in-a-generation type event. A massive bomb cyclone set to touch nearly every single state. The record cold, wind, rain, and, of course, snow set to make a mess of travel ahead of Christmas. How hard a hit could this be on the retailers that are hoping for one final sales push? We'll dive into what that means for the everybody out there in the retail world when Fast Money returns. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. It's been a year of a race gains and steeper declines for Kathy Wood's ARK Innovation ETF. This one-time pandemic darling down 66% this year, thanks in large part to declines in one of its top holdings, Tesla. That stock down now 35% this month, 20% this week alone. ARK's downfall, very reminiscent of some of the dot-com bubble bursting. Dan, out of the 2000s wreckage, there were some names that actually survived. Are there some names that are worth watching in ARK? 
Yeah, sure. And, and I guess, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about this because I've never seen a portfolio so poorly constructed when you think about these names and her continued, I mean, continued um, insistence that she's investing in innovation. And, and again, you know, I look at some of these stocks, though. I'll go the other way, Frank. I look at a square. I think square or block or whatever they call it now. I think that thing could drop another 50% from here. If you think about it, um, it's COVID lows. It's March 2020 lows, I think, was in the low 30s. The stock's trading around 60. PayPal is well below its COVID lows. I think PayPal is a much better company. trades at a much uh, more reasonable valuation. Some of this other garbage in there, like Roku, we've been saying this for a couple years now. Throw it on the the, the trash heap of useless tech. Um, She's still really long that. Um, Zoom is probably the only one that has decent valuation. But again, I think there's lower lows. I think this thing that, you know, people would pay any price for two years ago. And now it looks like a reasonable valuation, but there's some funky stuff in there, too. That thing has much lower lows. So again, it's not what it is advertised, I think, as like this crazy innovation. And and I'd say this, maybe Tesla is the most innovative company in there. But that thing has much lower lows, in my opinion. So really quick, Dan, you you obviously have some strong opinions about this. We were just showing the arc laggards a second. Um, The number one is uh, on the list, at least, is Tesla. UiPass, the second one. That's an automation company, automation software. Hard to believe that that's just junk tech. Um, Teladoc, we know what that does. Um, No, Frank, hold on a second. It's not that it's junk tech or not. It's these are publicly traded companies. If you tell me it's a VC backed company and it's in the private market, pay whatever multiple you want for it. okay? and then take whatever time horizon you want. But there are laws that exist in public markets. They've existed for 200 years. You know, remember, Elon was telling some investor of his own stock to go look at securities analysis or some book on it or whatever. Just because things went haywire over the last couple of years and investors were willing to pay whatever they thought they would you know would pay for this stuff and people like Kathy Wood are marketing it as innovation it, it just doesn't make sense in public markets so just as they overshot to the upside way overshot they have the potential to way overshoot to the downside all right Courtney I, w- I want to come over to you we also have a list of the arc innovation top holdings that we're about to show in just a second um, do you see anything in the arc that you think is I guess salvageable after a, r- a really big downturn this year Yeah, I mean, there might be bits and pieces. You might be able to pick some individual stocks, but the ARK Innovation Fund has really become the poster child for your your growth tech stocks, which have really underperformed this year and likely are going to continue to underperform. I think what's really fascinating is if you look at the ARK Innovation Fund, it went from a high of in February, almost $28 billion in assets, down to about $6.5 billion recently. And interestingly enough, that's with clients adding, I think, almost a, a billion and a half of assets over that time frame because people are actually buying into the dip. And I think this is something I just want to continue to remind investors. You know, we've talked a lot about this on the show, but the story doesn't end here. If we do continue to have higher rates next year, these are going to continue to be under pressure. We've seen this in the past. I mean, I don't know if we're in the tech bubble, but you did see this where you had periods of, of tech companies underperforming for a decade. And that can happen again when valuations are so high. And I think you really want to be cautious of that as you go into 2023. Yeah, certain, certainly something to watch. Probably important to note that one of the top holdings there, Exact Scientists, uh, up one and a half percent. They actually make that uh, they're a, a cancer detection company, make the Cologuard uh, product. So, I mean, something that obviously has a market, but a lot of those other companies, as you guys mentioned, high valuation, high growth, high risk. All right, there's a lot more on Fast to Come. Here's what's coming up next. A streamer spending billions to land three new letters to its alphabet, NFL. The details on the deal to bring football to YouTube and what it means for the Legacy Bundle. Plus, 
AMC's Hail Mary to keep the hodlers holding on. The desperate sales pitch from the theater chain CEO to rally his Reddit rebels as shares come crashing toward zero. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. YouTube securing the rights to the NFL Sunday ticket and a seven-year deer valued at roughly $2 bucks a year. It's the latest live sporting event to move to the streaming universe. Shares of YouTube parent company Alphabet sinking 2% today, with other streamers also closing in the red. So what does this deal mean for Alphabet and streaming at large? Tim, I'm going to toss this one over to you. Well, it, it, we know where it's going. OTT, live sports, uh, streaming, it's happening. And the question is, is it part of a package or a skinnier bundle or a YouTube TV? Or where it's really potentially attractive for YouTube is in a standalone and, and where they can actually, you know, that's going to justify, you know. A standalone spinoff? Just a standalone service and exclusivity. Okay. So it, to the extent that you can just sign up for that and have that access, I think is, is where uh, possibly YouTube takes on even more subs. And it may be worth one and a half to two million subs. Um, it starts to justify the price. So far, this has been loss leading. And so far, um, the streamers, despite all the potential here of live sports and over the top, um, we haven't really seen the outcome yet. I, I think the, the market performance today for this news and, and how Google stopped, underwhelmed, um, but, but I don't think that this is the answer. And right now, if you look at the valuations of streaming companies and, and frankly, their inability really to monetize this, uh, this sub base, you know, everyone other than Netflix really is, is not even making money on their streaming okay. business. And I think that's part of the story. All right. You're saying that's not the answer. Let me just change the question entirely. Okay. Should Google just spin off YouTube into its own service? I don't know about you, but I listen to about half the music I listen to on YouTube. I watch maybe a third of everything I watch on YouTube. I, I'm a big fan of uh, what Skip kind of music would that and be? Shannon well, Sharp. What, 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 no. All right. So, so, um, to my well, saying, I watch their show on YouTube. I never watch it on the actual yeah. network at Arizona. No, I get it. I watch it on YouTube. Yep. And, and I think if you look at the, some of the parts on Google, we've done this with YouTube over the years, uh, and where they are in the valuation, I think there's, there's intrinsic value in terms of YouTube and spinning it out. In this market, at this multiple, no way. And I think there's still a lot more growth here and where we are in the cycle. Um, I, I like what they're doing here, and they are going to compete. And why wouldn't they compete head-on with Amazon? Wow. Uh, underwhelmed by the NFL. You don't hear that too often, Tim. All right, still to come here on Fast Money, a bold call on gold. We're going to break down one analyst prediction that the precious metal will more than double next year. But next, over 140 million people said to be impacted by the bomb cyclone covering most of the U.S. now throughout the weekend. That includes Christmas. How much damage will this do to retailers desperate for last-minute sales before the big holiday? Stay with us. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. All 
All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Another check on the markets today. Stocks ending the day in the red across the board, but finishing well off their lows, the Dow dropping just over a percent. After spending part of this day down over 600 points, the S&P falling just about 1.5%. The Nasdaq, the hardest hit, falling more than 2%. Tesla leading today's losses alongside a trio of trip makers. We're talking Lamb Research, Applied Materials, and NVIDIA, all dropping more than 7%. And finally, check out FedEx. The shipper, a rare green spot in today's sea of red as it gears up for the final push of this holiday season. And now to the potential retail nightmare before Christmas, a holiday season that's already been weaker than expected, about to be dealt. Just another blow thanks to some wicked winter weather, a bomb cyclone threatening more than 140 million people across the country, heavy snow and winds in the Midwest, rain, wind, and bone-chilling cold to follow here in the Northeast. Kansas already dealing with wind chills, making it feel below 40%, uh, 40%. 40 degrees below. I got some flashbacks. He's living in Alaska, Tim. Mm. Got some flashbacks here. I, I fell 50 below Alaska. before. It's not good. Beautiful. All this in the final countdown to Christmas. Our next guest says the tough weather isn't the only thing threatening retail. Storch Advisor, CEO and former Hudson Bay and Toys R Us CEO, Gerald Storch. He joins us now. Hey, Jerry. Hi. All right. So storms coming in these last shopping days before Christmas. How bad could this really be for the retailers? You're of the mind that Black Friday was an aberration. We were having a terrible holiday season as is. So, look, uh, you know, normally when retailers blame the weather, I think they're kind of, you know, wimpy. They're making excuses for fundamental problems with their business. But when it hits right now, you know, two days before Christmas, there's no time to make it up. So it'll definitely be yet another blow in a difficult holiday season. When you put it in perspective, though, it's a long holiday season. So it might make a percent of difference, one percent you know, in sales. But most retailers probably were optimistic and thinking they might pick up a percent. So the total might be like 2% if you put together optimistic hopes against the reality of what they're getting hit with. I, I do have to point out Black Friday was not good. Everyone says that. I don't know where they got it from. There's no retailer I've talked to who says it was good. And, you know, Black Friday was also difficult. It's been difficult all holiday season. It's been a struggle. Well, Jerry, in all fairness, Adobe said it was good. They said it was a rise over nope. last year when we were expecting it to be flat. In all fairness. Yeah, really quick, I, I want to ask guy. you. Adobe only tracks Internet sales. For Internet sales to be up 2% is what? 2% on Internet sales? That's, you know, basically a disaster when, uh, when inflation's like, you know, uh, you know, 6%, 8% during that same period. So, so I don't think it was very good or anyone's expectations were that poor for Internet. And think about bricks and mortar in that same context. Anyway, go ahead. All right, fair enough. I mean, fair enough. We're going to lean into your expertise on this one, Jerry. And you and I have already talked about yeah. this. But I want to ask you, the snowstorm, it's obviously going to impact in-store shopping. But why can't that be made up by online shopping for, for people that are saying, hey, the weather's bad. I might as well shop online. And again, this is Adobe. It's not Frank Holland. It's Adobe. The average sale per checkout during Black Friday was higher. So couldn't that potentially give a boost to all these retailers? Hey, there's always a chance that people can say, oh, I'll get it home, home delivery for it. And again, I don't think this is the biggest problem. You know, there's a snowstorm uh, two days before Christmas. But, but new, uh, Christmas Eve day in particular is my favorite day as a retailer. People come in the store, they will buy anything. And so it's a chance to get rid of all the stuff you want to get rid of, high margin goods, whatever there is. So you're losing out on that. It is true. Some of it will be delivered from a store to home. But, you know, a lot of retailers don't have that functionality. So when you really get down to it, you know, same day delivery at this juncture in the middle of a snowstorm, I don't think anyone's going to count on any of that. So the reality is it will be a hit. It's not a massive hit just because of the weather. It's been a hit all season long. And that, that's what we're seeing, particularly uh, for uh, retailers that have uh, disposable or discretionary items like apparel or electronics or home furnishings. All right. I think Guy has a question. Jerry, Tim and I yeah, Jerry, Tim and I grew up in Westchester, and it's a dark day when the Galleria <laughs> Mall announces they're shutting down. 
But I'll say this. I mean, the dollar stores to me, and we've talked about this, they seem to be the best situated in this environment. I'm not asking you to name stocks, but am I accurate in my assessment? You know, absolutely. I think there are a lot of retailers, by the way, who are positioned to do well. There's still a lot of a lot of sectors or companies that people love. Anyone that sells food, you know, which which the dollar stores increasingly do, by the way. But, uh, you know, Walmart, Costco, great companies. They're, they've done better than the rest. You know, up to this point, they will do better than the rest next year as well in that environment. Five below a value retailer. TJX, a value retailer. Kroger, of course, the largest grocer. Home Depot and Lowe's continue to do well. AutoZone, that's kind of the same. It's like you can't sell your house, you can't sell your car, so you might as well make them both better, so that's what they're doing. Dick's Sporting Goods, people still love sports. Ulta's been doing great in cosmetics. And luxury's been doing better than you might think. You know, super luxury, I don't mean like middle-of-the-road stuff, super luxury in this environment as well. Meanwhile, again, you know, Nordstrom, Macy's, Kohl's, Gap, you know, Williams-Sonoma, Restoration Harbor, Wayfair, Best Buy. I mean, these, these companies are going to struggle. Jerry, it's Tim. Some, some big picture here. Some things I heard out of Nike and some things that are observations on the last three years of the pandemic. But Nike almost revalidated a brick and mortar model. Um, look, they've talked about DTC working, but they've also talked about different, uh, you know, call it distribution and omni channel. What is your thoughts on this? We we counted so many of these retailers left for dead. And, and if you hear from one of the most sophisticated uh, consumer products companies in the world who can do whatever they want, um, they kind of made it sound like we're going to see a little bit more life back in some of the old gallery and malls of the world. Is there any truth to that? I think you see more life in the Nike stores. Uh, you know, they control their <laughs> brand. What they, what they have is a great brand. It's a vertically integrated retailer. That's one of the success models for the future. One of the winners, those who control their own brand, control their own product, decide which attribute. They've been very careful. You know, they have their goods very sharply segmented to what they'll sell to whom. And they don't sell the best stuff anywhere except on Nike.com or in their own stores. All right, Jerry Storch, keeping it real, man. Just that Adobe data, you're not going both for it. I like that. Former Toys R Us CEO, I was a big fan of yours when I was a kid. All right, let's trade it. And uh, Guy, over to your point, Dollar General, one of the stocks finishing higher today in the retail area, along with Nike, to Tim's point. Yeah, and I love Jerry on F Troop, by the way. But Dollar Gen Green today on a lousy tape, it's only probably 8% off its all-time high. I think the valuation is still reasonable for them in this environment. So I'll stay with Dollar Gen as my pick in retail. Tim? Well, Agarn was doing great stuff. I, I tell you what, the, the couple places I actually am encouraged by what I'm seeing out of Macy's in terms of both their, their e-commerce and what they're also doing in the stores, what they're doing digitally, what they've done in terms of uh, resizing the footprint. The valuation makes a lot of sense to me. I, I think retail, though, has a lot of issues going into next year, including a massive pull forward. Inflation's coming down. The unit kind of dynamics from inflation have actually been very good for retailers, and I think they get worse. Courtney, I mean, what do you think? I mean, it's hard to believe that people, even during a downturn, aren't going to go back out and shop. We know the retailers they had a lot of inventory that they weren't, they didn't, weren't able to sell and didn't really want now. But they're going to get rid of it sooner or later. And, of course, spring things are going to come in. The first full year without any COVID is going to be next year. Yeah, and consumers still have cash right now. I mean, they went from about $2.3 trillion in cash with the COVID. Um, that has been brought down to about a trillion dollars. But there still is a trillion dollars that can be spent, that likely won't be spent through early next year. So consumers can still be spending, but you want to be looking at yeah the lower end, like the dollar general, because your lower end consumer is the ones who are getting hurt the most right now, or your higher end. So take, for example, like a tapestry. Um, that is more your luxury brand. They're also going to benefit from China reopening. Um, I think you want to kind of look at those, those opposite sides of the spectrum continually. Dan Nathan, any trade in the retail sector for you? Yeah, you know, there's a couple things that stand out to me. So, so um, you know, Jerry just mentioned, you know, retailers that sell food. Well, one of them is Target, and, and Target just adds acts 
God awful. I mean, it looks like it's going to make new 52-week lows. It's massively underperformed. Walmart, maybe you'd say that that's kind of some Target-specific stuff. But I think, you know, one of the warning bells earlier this year on inventories was Target. So I want to keep a closer eye on that. And then the other one would be Home Depot. It's had a massive rally, more than 20% off of those October lows. And I just think that with reals with yields holding in here, I just think the housing market probably gets tougher. I think this is probably a tougher road to hoe uh, for Home Depot in 2023. So a couple names that I don't like, but they've gone in opposite directions over the last few months. All right. We're turning attention to a market flash right now. Shares of Tesla moving 3% higher in the extended session. Our Pippa Stevens has much more on that. Hey, Pippa. Hey, Frank. Well, Elon Musk saying just now that he doesn't plan to sell any more Tesla shares in the immediate future. Speaking in a Twitter spaces, he said, quote, you can count on me, no stock sales until like probably 2025 or something. He doubled down on that, adding, quote, you have my commitment. I won't sell stock probably until two years from now. Musk adding that he believes his political comments have a, quote, minor impact on Tesla sales. This, of course, comes as Tesla is on track for its worst month on record. Shares of the, shares of the EV maker are up 3%, though, here, Frank, in extended session. All right, our Pippa Stevens back at CNBC headquarters. Thank you, Pippa. Dan, turn it over to you. You're Who's making it. that. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, go ahead, Tim. Well, Tim you already no, did. Tim, I, want to hear, no. I want to hear Dan on this one, actually. No, no. And then I'll I mean, so, so, really, so really quickly, again, um, Elon Musk has established himself as a liar on this exact topic. Um, he said that numerous times over the last year, and he's continued to sell stock. Here's the thing. Because of all of his Tesla shares that have been pledged to banks for a whole host of reasons as it relates to this Twitter deal, he might be forced to sell. It might be the bank selling because it's a margin call. So, again, I just don't think that places a whole heck of a lot. I mean, it doesn't it wouldn't make me feel a whole heck of a lot better if I was one of these long suffering shareholders now who've seen him just sell the stock in their faces for months and months. Yeah, I mean, the funding secured tweet is one of the great ones of all time. I mean, this, look, this guy does not believe that he has to actually be uh, transparent and tell you what he's going to do. So, I, you know, this is part of the reason why the stock has actually undergone what it's gone. And I think the bloom is off this rose. Yeah. Uh, Elon Musk and his tweets and his comments uh, definitely impacting this stock. All right. Up next, the Reddit Rebellion stock trying to hang on like an aging action hero. Not ready to say hasta la vista, baby. The details on AMC's effort to keep the curtain from coming down and the bearish options on the stock. Then a decidedly bullish take on gold. One analyst saying it could hit $4,000 this year. We're going to debate that when we return. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Another meme stock rally could be in the works, and bets are getting bulkier. AMC, the third biggest singles, currently the third single biggest single stock option. And one trader now betting AMC will be testing its 2021 lows within the next four months. Mike Coe joins us now with that action. Hey, Mike. Yeah, this one's always very busy, but today it was much, much busier. Puts trading very nearly four times their average daily volume. The single largest trade was a purchase of nearly 10,000 of the April three, three puts. The buyer paying about a buck 55 a contract for those, an outlay of about one and a half million in premium that the stock's going to go below that strike. But actually, the busiest contract were the April two puts, nearly 70,000 of those trading. So definitely, there's a lot of activity, institutional traders betting, and AMC can still go a lot lower. All right. Thanks a lot, Mike. Uh, before we let you go, Mike, any particular thoughts about AMC, either the options or the stock itself? Yeah, I mean, AMC, basically the options and, and also its debt are suggesting that this thing is in real trouble. It's probably toast. And if you compare it to some of the other meme stocks like 
uh, GameStop and Bed Bath & Beyond. Bed Bath & Beyond doesn't really have any debt, so it's a very different story. Bed Bath & Beyond, you've got debt trading at 10 to 11 cents on the dollar. That one's in real trouble, too. All right, Mike Coe, we appreciate it as always. All right, Tim, we also saw a tweet from AMC CEO this morning, Adam Aaron, pushing back on the stock's meme status, suggesting that shareholders could vote on a reverse stock split to boost the share price. We're showing it to you. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the basic gist of it is, you know, also consider a one to 10 reverse stock split. He says simple arithmetic, if approved, share count goes down, so the share price goes up. Yeah, your stock is, is going below a level of relevancy, so you, you do a reverse split. I mean, this is crazy. And, and, and to, it's kind of, he's almost playing on the fact that, see, I'm not trying to pull a fast one. Of course he's not pulling a fast one. You can't pull a fast one. There's nothing value added about what they're doing here. Uh, what they did is they wiped out some debt and they diluted equity uh, more substantially, and that's really all they can do. Um, this is a meme stock. This is poster child. I mean, everything about this story uh, that has been, look over here while I'm over here, this to me is a story that unfortunately a lot of investors have been lulled in around this cult following of trading during COVID when, you know, money seemed free. This is this has been a very unfortunate investment story for a company that was broken going into the pandemic. And again, uh, if you look at the top line of what their core business is, it's been been deteriorating wildly for the last 10 years for the reasons we just talked about even tonight on the show and what's going on with streaming and where people are actually consuming their content. So this is a sad story, not a not a happy story, not a time to kind of stir up the pot. I think this is a story a lot of investors have lost on. Courtney, any thoughts about this? I mean, at one point we had AMC apes. I don't really see them on Twitter or Reddit anymore. Yeah, th these are not the kind of companies that you're going to want to be invested in, especially in the, the kind of environment we're in where we're potentially going to recession or a slowing economy and higher interest rates. This is a company that's not profitable. They almost went bankrupt. I mean, the, the retail investor really, I think, kept them moving. Um, this really isn't something you want to be invested in. It's not something we have been invested in. Um, it, it's more of a, a headline story than anything and not something you want to chase. Yeah, important to know AMC right now, 19% short interest. All right, for more options action, be sure to tune into the full show tomorrow at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Coming up here on Fast Money, $4,000, four grand. That's where one analyst says gold could go to next year. With the fall of crypto, is the precious metal back to being a go-to safe haven? We'll debate that and much, much more when Fast Money returns. And welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim's talking to Paycheck CEO John Gibson. Catch that full interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money right here on CNBC. And I bet Kramer's excited about that Sunday ticket deal. Oh, you so know that. So we can both as, watch as the as Eagles without a satellite dish. That's important to he and I, luck, Philadelphia man. natives. Good, good luck. Enjoy, people, enjoy it now. You don't understand it. All right. All right. Gold price is down by more than a percent and a half today, but still up over 8% in the last two months. And one analyst thinks the bullion's value could double from current levels. The CIO of Swiss Asia Capital telling our colleagues at Street Signs Asia, the price of gold could reach the $4,000 mark next year, offering investors a hedge against an economic downturn. <laughs> Guy, I'm going to come over to you. Are you buying this whole thing with gold? Yeah, well, I don't know. But I'll get me to 2000 first, and then we can talk about doubling from there. But yes, I am, because central banks have been buying gold in record amounts. I'm sure we have some graphic we can drop, but you know, the Chinese have been buying it. Central banks around the world have been buying the physical metal. Now, it hasn't manifested itself in the price. Uh, but that, to me, is just a matter of time. And you have to say to yourself, what do central bankers see? They're seeing the destruction they're doing to underlying economies, and they're trying to position themselves for the inevitable. So I'd much rather be long gold here than short it. And I'm sure Tim probably agrees as well. 
I do. And if you think about the, the dynamics, first of all, there was a time maybe five years ago you could come up with almost any thesis why gold might rally. Uh, then you had the perfect storm over the last couple of years, especially as you really did see runaway inflation. Gold should be that store of value. But finally, with inflation having peaked, uh, I'll make that call, and with the Fed lightening back up, but with lower growth next year in an environment where uh, certainly the dollar is probably also peaked, this is a great environment for gold. I agree with Guy. 4000 not something I'm, I'm going to get out there and, and wave the pom-pom on. Uh, I'll say gold, silver, PGMs overall are going higher. So is this the real question about gold? Is it an inflation hedge or is it a stagflation hedge, Courtney? I'm so glad you bring that up because I, I I like the idea of gold going higher because we are seeing central banks and especially like central banks in China um, are starting to purchase gold. Um, but it has not been the inflation hedge that people have wanted it to be. I mean, it's significantly underperformed even in a year like now where inflation's kicking in. Um, we actually used to own gold as an inflation hedge in our portfolio, but we haven't for years. And we've instead had a broad commodities basket because a lot of your other commodities have been a much better hedge. So, yes, we want gold, but I wouldn't own it specifically as an inflation hedge. I think you bring up a really good point, Frank. So, Dan, Nathan, when we said, uh, or at least that person from Street Signs Asia said that it might double, I saw you take a sip of something. I don't know if it was straight vodka. You started choking. You almost did a spit take right there. Yeah, I don't know what you're drinking on. Um, but it, 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 you definitely had a reaction. You know, you know it's interesting. We, we've talked a lot about, like, why is the VIX at 22 here in a market that seems to be, you know, uh, on a hair trigger or so. When I think of gold and you start seeing some sort of targets like that, and, and I get why Tim and Guy – like it here, I start looking at the options and like the GLD, the ETF that tracks it. And from a vol perspective, you know, they're really cheap. Okay. And so if you're looking to kind of play for something where you think that gold could just explode someday because some sort of macro event or some sort of central bank sort of issue or something related to stagflation or whatever, I mean, there's cheap ways to play it in the options market and to find your risk, especially through the GLD and using options to do it. So that's kind of the way I think about it, being a bit speculative on what I think is also a very speculative risk asset. Yeah, a lot of questions about what exactly is an inflation hedge these days. For a minute, I think we thought it was crypto. All right, coming up next, your final trades. It's time for final trades. Let's go around the horn. Guy. Uh, great having you, Frank, for sure. I Thank like you. Newmont Mining on the back of what we were just talking about. Oh, the gold play. There we go. Dan, over to you. Yeah, I'm putting together a buy list for 2023 lows that I think are much lower than here. PayPal's on that list, especially relative to Square. All right, after seeing you sipping, I thought it might be Diageo. Courtney, over to you. Uh, EEM, I continue to like emerging markets here. I think the interest rate story is actually overshadowing the fact that the second largest economy is continuing to reopen, and I think that's a positive here. Tim, last word. Frank, thanks for joining us. F Troop, underrated show. Thanks, Guy. <laughs> Pfizer, underrated pipeline. I say it's going higher. There we go. All right. Thank you for watching Fast Money, Mad Money with Jim Cramer, Philadelphia native, Eagles fan. Starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.